Hello and welcome to this, the 45th episode in this second series of the Rise Productions Irish Theatre Podcast. I am your host, the self-appointed cheerleader-in-chief of Irish Theatre, Angus Og McAnally, artistic director of Rise Productions, a freelance actor, more recently a director and a producer here at Rise. I am a 21-year veteran of the Irish theatre scene and a third-generation theatre maker. And as ever, we are coming to you live from our studios at the Irish Theatre Institute in the heart of Dublin's cultural quarter of Temple Bar. And this second series is brought to you thanks to the very generous support of the Arts Council of Ireland. Now, each week we bring you these conversations absolutely free of charge. We've promised you we won't ever charge for this podcast, but we are looking for you to support Irish theatre, to put your money where your mouth is, and put your money into Irish theatre. The whole ethos behind this podcast is to support, promote, and celebrate all that is great about Irish theatre. And the simplest way for you to go and show that support is to go and buy yourself some tickets. There is a whole heap of theatre on at the moment between the Fringe, the upcoming theatre festival, uh, a lot of great touring work all around the country at the moment. There is no excuse. There is a great show. Wherever you are on the island of Ireland, there is a great show near you. Now, get out there, put your hand in your pocket, and support. But... If tickets are slightly outside your reach this week or this month, there are ways you can support without even having to put your hand in your pocket. Go and tell people about this podcast, whether that's in person over a coffee or over a pint or in the foyer of a fringe show as you're chatting about what you saw last night that was deadly or what you saw last night that wasn't deadly. And just go and spread the word. Maybe share the link as a Facebook post, retweet the link on Twitter, Snapchat it on Snapchat vine it on vine does vine still exist i don't know whatever the social media platforms are get the word out there about the podcast help us spread the word about the great artists that we are interviewing here do please go back and listen to the previous episodes and subscribe on itunes if you would of course these episodes are available to stream and available for direct download at riseproductions.ie they're also on podcast and acast and podbean and all the other platforms you might like to check out leave us a review on itunes if you would that's always a big help for us or simply click to rate us on their five star rating system have you given us a review yet have you rated us yet have you been enjoying these episodes you still not bother we got two minutes to do today maybe Maybe today's the day. Get out there and give us an L review. You can always follow us on Facebook. We are facebook.com forward slash Rise Productions Ireland. Or you can follow us on Twitter. We are at Rise Ireland. And it has been a hectic week at Rise Towers this week. I am on fully fledged fringe judge duty. Uh, so it's hectic. I'm seeing up to three or four shows a night, catching some afternoon shows there too, some early evening ones, running around from venue to venue, calculating, oh, have I definitely left enough time to run from that venue to this venue in a 15-minute gap? Okay. Uh, so it's been interesting. I'm seeing some great work. And, of course, I'm not allowed to talk about any of it until the uh, the awards are presented Sunday week. So I guess I'm going to say nothing uh, other than the fact that I'm having a really good time, um, seeing some really good work. And, yeah, really enjoying it. Been pleasantly surprised by a lot of stuff as well which is great it's a very good fringe it's uh i feel it might be a vintage year so if you haven't got out and caught much of it yet do please go out of your way to get out there and support all the great artists making so much work but because i'm not gonna be able to talk about it much let's get straight to our guest and it is none other than the brilliant matt smith and matt is a guy who has been so intimately involved in a huge amount of really exceptional work in Dublin and Ireland and around the world uh, over the last number of years. He is an exceptional producer and an all-round great guy. Let's get straight into it. Here he is, the brilliant Matt Smith. The wonderful Matt Smith joining me on the podcast. Hello, my friend. Hello, how are you? I'm very well indeed, thanks. How are you doing? Good, good. Welcome. I'm delighted to have you here at last. Um, let us start from the very beginning and talk to me about the initial impulses for you 
for heading into the business. Okay, yeah. Um, so I was in college studying economics and politics in Trinity. Uh, the obvious route. The, the obvious theater. route. The obvious route. Uh, and initially I wanted to do music and it hadn't worked out. So uh, it hadn't worked out. So it's like a really <laughs> kind of as if I'm like skipping a whole story where I'm a failed musician. I just uh, didn't get the points for music and psychology. So I went and did economics and politics instead and kind of joined the theatre in college that I'm sure everyone that has been on the podcast has been in Players Theatre. Yes. And we started making shows, making plays. I kind of, at that point, wanted to be more a writer, I think. Um, really? More comedy. Yeah, comedy writing uh, was the thought at the time uh, into directing, like everyone, like, you know, everyone that was in Players, they are all directing everything. And then when they came out, they realised that they were not as good as people who were good. So they all became producers or uh, actors or stage managers. And so I then went we started a sketch group when we were in college. And so just to go back, so this is, in those early days, this was no real interesting theatre before getting to college. And then just going, oh, oh well, look, you know, actually, players is a well, thing you should actually, do. Actually, yeah, so I, was, I did drama classes. Like, I was like yeah. an, an actor when I was young. I was actually in Fair City when I was 15 as there a bully. There we go. There we go, yeah. Now, you, have now you we're read talking. my, because <laughs> I haven't read my CV. <laughs> but um, the I was, yeah, I used to do lots of acting and did some TV acting. I was a bully on Fair City. Excellent. Called Ryan uh, in three episodes, two of which were the Christmas special. Oh, wow, that's which big. very exciting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was... Woeful, like Excellent. an absolutely dreadful actor, uh, and like I unfortunately can't, genuinely can't find the tapes. And I would love to because I am acne ridden and highly rotund. Amazing, uh, and but it was great. We had a brilliant time. So we kind of all we went to the same drama school, and a lot of people I actually hilariously still work with today. Dan Colley was there, uh, and we first met. Uh, Dan Colley, who I work with now in Collapsing Horse, me and Dan first met at a short play competition when we were 15. Uh, we had both written the short plays, maybe like there's 10 entries. Mm-hmm. Uh, Dan's won the overall one that he wrote, uh, something something Mustafa Crab, and I won Best Comedy. Uh, okay. But I people didn't realise that I had written a drama, and it was just so absolutely terrible uh, that, I, oh, that people... Anyway, uh, so that was the first time me and Dan met uh, okay. at the awards ceremony. I'm using inverted commas here in Kildare Play School um, in Rathmines. Um, and then people like Jack Gleason I met uh, in this drama school as well, independent, what was it, ICW uh, in Ranla. And I suppose actually a few people who were in that who went to Trinity Players after, I went to see them in a show called The First Year Co-op. Ah, uh, yes, that of they course. All, that the third years direct and write and then the first years are in. Uh, and I went to see them uh, in it and was blown away by it. I was yeah. like, this is the best thing I've ever seen. Uh, and I have to go to this college. So I went home uh, maybe like a couple of months later and changed all the CAO uh, point uh, courses from UCD to Trinity. Really? Just to go and be part of that and also because i used to debate in secondary in secondary school as yeah. well and i'd done the ucd mace and the trinity mace in the same in a, across two weeks and for some reason i was like oh trinity seems better like literally possibly because there was free pizza at the trinity debating thing and not at the ucd thing like genuinely that could have been the reason why i ended up in trinity these are um, useful criteria these are useful criteria absolutely yeah and the free pizza kept rolling over the years um uh, and I suppose, so I was kind of interested in like doing it on the side, once again, more interested in music, yeah. and then kind of got interested in uh, writing and producing a bit more when I was in Players, yeah. It's fascinating to me. So, talk to me then about trips to Edinburgh. Did that mm. come early on with the player stuff? So, there was, so when we got to college, there was a, a couple of sketch groups in the year ahead of us. One called the Mercer Island Rodeo uh, and one called the Millahunty Express. Okay. Mercer Island Rodeo was comprised of four 
Uh, I was going to say wonderful people. They're all dreadful, and they wouldn't mind me saying it. And, uh, um, uh, dreadful comedians or dreadful, dreadful human beings? Human beings. Oh, no, excellent comedians. Um, <laughs> and they went, uh, and they had gone and done Edinburgh. And there's a whole you know, scene beforehand of Dead Cat Bounce and H-Bam, which Ashling B and the Dead Cat Bounce guys were in, and lots sure. of other famous people now, um, certainly not then. And uh, and so there was kind of this idea that if, if you were good enough, you could probably get a group together, and there was a bit of a roadmap. You could ask someone for some advice, like Shane O'Brien, Keen yeah. O'Brien's brother, was super helpful when we went to Edinburgh the first time. Uh, he, had no re- he had no reason to be nice to us, but he was excellent. They were all great, actually. Um, and so, and then there was the Millahunty Express, who Ross Dungan, who's a playwright that I still work with now. Yes. Uh, and a number of people who are like sound designers in the UK and live all over the world were in that. And then they kind of broke up uh, in college. Well, they all broke up uh, pretty much because they all went to Edinburgh at a dreadful time. But, uh, and so myself and a guy called John Gallagher who had written a play together called Dial M for Amish, which was a Amish murder mystery. Um, Again, a very obvious choice. A very obvious choice, uh, which was loads of fun. Uh, yeah. Obviously, absolutely ridiculous. Um, uh, and off the back of that, we wanted to bring a show to Edinburgh. There was a guy who ran the newly founded comedy society in college called Rob Kearns, who wanted to bring us as an act for some reason, because we started doing stand-up comedy to raise money for the play. Uh, okay. Which was, yes, so that was how that started. We we did a stand-up comedy fundraiser. Some of the comics pulled out, so me and John wrote sets and did it. So then wow. this guy, Rob, who was in college as well, was like, I want to bring your show. We're like, okay, well, none of us here actually have criteria to be like, I want to bring your show. You're in college. I'm in college. <laughs> uh, and then we went to Edinburgh and got so lucky in our first year uh, in terms of we were in a like a we were in the wedding registry office in uh, C venues um, not C venues sorry sweet venues uh, which I think is now defunct maybe well the the wedding office certainly is anyway and it was a 50 seater it was they're trying this new venue out and just across the first weekend we got really lucky with the amount of people coming in and one or two reviewers who happened to like that kind of nonsense uh, came in and loved it so we ended up having uh, and the show was called The Betrayal of Penguins. It was Matthew Smith and John Gallagher present The Betrayal of Penguins. So the show ran the show company called, as yeah. such. And okay. that was because when me and John were, it was a show about friendship, blah, blah, blah. Uh, and the first night me and John hung out, we didn't know the collective name for penguins. So we spent all night making up ones. Uh, and one of them was a Betrayal of Penguins. And that's, so that's why we kept it. Kept, so we did that. Uh, Do you think success can be as arbitrary as that as in like, oh, as sometimes absolutely. just as fortunate that the right critic came in on the right night and it rolls from there oh yeah totally yeah, really yeah. oh yeah well sure critics are just like people like you and me and uh, you know any anyone and like any like obviously there are some critics that are excellent and you know are immersed in the scene so when they see a show sure. it's in the context of every other show they've seen that week that year in their lifetime but ultimately it's just someone's taste you know you can tell from the critics you know you know producers all over Ireland will look at the list of critics coming in and they'll be like they like they're gonna like this they won't like this they might like this they'll like this they'll like this they really won't like this you know i may or may not have i think in week two of a show once said would you like to hear the review of a certain sunday sunday reviewer <laughs> i've given it away well do you want to hear emer's review now and i and they went well what do you mean like it's two weeks before we open i said yeah just trust me it'll be this 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 and this she'll love him she'll hate him she'll love yeah, her she'll yeah, hate yeah, her yeah. and two weeks later word for word, word for, oh yeah totally uh, we just don't advise her anymore because who has time for that <laughs> who wants that pain like you'd almost do it for a laugh if you were so sure that the show was going to be fine and yeah. the reviews were going to be really good you'd be like let's invite Emer and see what she's going to say but uh, I mean particularly with an Edinburgh thing 
if you can get that quick roll of two good strong reviews yeah. at the gates early that then maybe it leads to word of mouth and kind of totally. it becomes a thing I remember and like this is all obviously grandiose but just remember we're 19 and probably drunk and we got our first we got two reviews in after the first weekend which is really early for an unknown yeah. act uh, especially like two stand-ups doing a really vague show when we didn't know what it was we were writing the blurb and we got two four stars one from the list to be like pretty big in Edinburgh and one from three weeks and like I remember our producer <laughs> imagining with a cigar now he's just, just in a comedy style could he been like this is career changing and like in many ways like he absolutely wasn't wrong because it meant yeah. that we had momentum then to go into the second year then the group changed evolved I started working with Aaron and Ross more different things like Collapsing Horse kind of came out of that over yeah. the years so like it was absolutely those two reviews in that weekend in that look we had with the reviewers coming in and the room that was really warm i mean in the nice way but it's also quite physically warm um uh, was life-changing uh, and it could easily have not been that and we could have had like an off time like that first month in Edinburgh we, we all got swine flu it was a whole house excellent Me, John G and Mark that's Atkinson. how you want it. you know Mark Atkinson he's sugar glass director oh yes of course yeah, works with Selena Rod. he um he was me him and John were sharing a bed and he was the only one that was posh enough to go to a doctor when we were all dying of the flu and he uh, came in he's like chaps we all have swine flu. And we're like, oh, that's what that is. But like, it was grim. Apart from like the show was going quite well. Like, it was absolute squalor we were living in. All of us kind of. Uh, I remember like I'd just been convinced that people were waking up in the middle of the night and pouring cereal down the cracks of all the couches because how else could the house have become so? Everyone has awful Edinburgh accommodation stories. Um, but... Character building though. Absolutely, yeah, it was great. Yeah, yeah. You learn. I suppose it was the most like it's. For me, it was the most I'd lived with other people, uh, or that amount of people. Yeah. Because um, in college, I'd lived with maybe one or two people across the years, and this was just to get a flavour of humanity. <laughs> I remember like going through a phase of leaving passive-aggressive notes nice. in the second year, and then realising that that's not actually a sound thing to do, even if you are right. Uh, and I was like, cool, so I've now become a better person, uh, even if the kitchen is still a fucking disaster. <laughs> Well, these are these are the trade offs we make in our lives, yeah, exactly, I, I guess. Yeah. Um, so after the joys of the Edinburgh Adventures, you're back here, mm-hmm. finished up college then. Yeah. And then when does it start for you? Is the first steps in going through Rough Magic Seeds? Yeah, I didn't really know what I wanted to be when I was growing up. Not that I do now. I still don't know what I want to be when I'm older. Genuinely. Um, uh, and I met through Shane Keen O'Brien. Um, yes. Uh, at uh, at someone's birthday and uh, Shane knew that I didn't really know what I wanted to do when I was older and Penguins uh, was kind of we were like we'll do another sketch show but maybe that'll be our last one Ross wants to concentrate on writing more yeah. and I was I had produced a, sh- a show that we'd written in college and brought over which is a show called Obama Mia um, which <laughs> uh, did like it's a fringe gimmick but my god it did well like it so so well it got some excellent reviews some terrible reviews but it still sold out everything yeah. so I was kind of been like oh, I'm kind of producing this I absolutely wasn't producing it but I was the one doing the most producery type job on it um, okay. and so that went really well so I came back and I was like to Shane I was like is this uh, what's what's producing your brother just produced what's that and he linked me up and we went for a coffee and Keen very kindly showed me all the kind of like courses you could do in the States and in the UK that are like producing or arts management and yeah. he was like but also uh, there's a thing called Seeds uh, 
you might be interested in it. Uh, they sometimes accept producers. Yeah. Uh, I currently work there, but I think he was moving the project at that point or it was just about to. Um, so I applied for it and I was at that point, I was like, cool, well, this is something interesting. I was producing another show in, uh, I know I just punched the mic with my hand there. It's quite all right. Yeah. <laughs> um, I was producing another show like in Kennedy's basement uh, called Alpha and Omega. And uh, then I was assistant producing <laughs> the making of his pity she's a whore oh by yeah Selena yes and how this came about was mark was assistant mark atkinson of uh, swine flu fame and um, was assistant directing it and i had come across selena and mary rooney uh when i was in college so when i was running the theater um, yeah when i was chair of the society uh during freshers week the beckett and the fringe festival do this nonsense thing which i think they still do or maybe the dates have changed where like freshers week theater shares the wall with the Beckett, uh, so during the Fringe show, you can hear everything that's happening. Oh, the players I do remember and vice versa. that. Yes, and it happens all the all the time. Uh, and there was it was during Medea, and yes. I had some sort of club night on in the, or no, it wasn't. It was a panel show with like Charlotte Regan, Damo Clark, loads of heads around college. It was, a, it was it was a raucous night. Like, but I remember one of the comedians' sisters was actually in the crowd in Medea and said she didn't know he was there that night, but knew by the end because she could recognise his voice from the theatre. Through the wall. So we had Mick Canny, the tech manager of the Beckett, and Mary Rooney <laughs> uh, confronting me and my tech manager, Jack Barrow, to say the least. And then at one point, we're like, I think they've gone. I think they've realised they can't win this. Uh, and then we found them on our tech floor, what I think was actually just trying to pull the electrics from the building. Uh, and she and he are the only people I had to physically eject from a building in, for the, in my whole life. So a bit after that, uh, I remember hearing Mark was working on her their next show. Yeah. I was like, that's interesting. I wonder. So I asked if I could be her assistant producer. She didn't remember who I was. Excellent. I knew that would be the case. And she still doesn't know. And I, I don't know if she listens to the podcasts. But, uh, Let's hope so not. So I went and I worked with her and really like learned a lot about uh, producing in those two months with Mary and Selena doing that show. It was an absolute baptism of fire. And during that period, I got was successful with Seeds. I think I was, you know, because I was working on a show like that, yeah. whilst, doing, whilst interviewing for Seeds, that really helped and made it look like I wasn't a total uh, numpty. When do you feel you got a handle on what producing actually is? And I guess the follow-on is, do you feel you have a handle on what producing uh, actually is? No. <laughs> <laughs> um, I think... I remember Keen O'Brien asking me a question during early on in Seed, saying you need to decide. Uh, he wasn't as definitive of that. And he's like, but you, you should maybe consider deciding what kind of producer are you? Are you a Keen O'Brien? Are you an Anne Clark? Mm-hmm. Are you a Mary Rooney? Um, are you a Diego? Uh, all you know, he listed off a lot of producers. And I was kind of like, oh, I don't know. Like it's kind of, and I've come to. I said at the time, which was very actually, I, I was. I think I was right, which was I want to be me. You know, I want to and. I think as a producer, it's it's so meshed with your personality, yeah. the type of producer you are. Um, uh, and so once you say that, then you give yourself an excuse to, to say, yes, you do have a handle on it. Um, I think there's been like one or two points as a producer which uh, where I've kind of realized that it's okay to be a producer and that uh, that it's actually quite an exciting thing. And one of them was, I remember Rasha going telling me that if you go to APAM, which is the performing arts market in Australia, that you'll really kind of 
you'll come home being like oh I'm a producer I can actually you know you know get shows on the road and talk to people about and when I went there that was like an amazing experience and I loved every second of that you know like having people introduce you like this is the Shanghai delegation and you having to like talk really quickly about your show before you realize that their translator isn't there anyway and they've just kind of looked blankly at you the whole time like cool okay well i suppose i'll catch you all later they didn't understand that either um and then another time i did a west end producing course for three days in london uh on like commercial producing yeah and that was really exciting and that kind of gave you know it, it what i suppose what it reaffirms is that you do actually know a lot of stuff yeah and uh and you know i think getting a handle on producing is more just kind of working doing all the things you have to do that's it yeah, <laughs> yeah, just, yeah. Just do the things, do you, have the things you have to do yeah um how useful was that period through seeds i mean what i mean talk about working with a team as close as you were the likes of you know having a lynn parker on your doorstep every day is not a bad place to no, be no no it's amazing uh, i don't think that i'd be a producer now if it wasn't for seats okay genuinely like i don't like the opportunity it afforded to me was incredible the people you it's kind of this weird thing where rough magic interviews the sector because no one else does this kind of thing or there's probably a bit more of it now there's probably i know drew would do some stuff and yeah yeah and they kind of interview a large part of the sector and then they kind of put a stamp on five particular ones being like these ones are class this lot of designer, these two composers, yeah. this this director, and what it means is that people can then approach you, being like, "Oh, they're probably they have some idea of what's going on." They'll be not some, shit. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and I remember coming to the first like opening night of a Rough Magic show, which was Plaza Suite. Oh yeah, and literally people pointing at me and artists coming up to me, being like, wow. "I hear you're a producer. I need someone because there's not enough producers in Ireland because it is." Uh, that's an interesting thing, actually. Yeah, I think there's not enough producers in Ireland because. It demands like a, a sl- like some sort of capital reserve. There's like a great stress yeah. if you're a young producer because if the show doesn't make money, who 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 cashes that check? Yeah. You know, and I think it forces a lot of people out. And there's there's not necessarily a way for um, people who aren't from privileged backgrounds to rise through the ranks of producing in the early years. Maybe you yeah. can if you get a job in a theatre and then break out as a producer after, but it's very stressful and it's very scary. I was I taught uh, Latin when I was in college um, uh, and saved up loads of money. Right. So for the first few years of profit share shows, I'd kind of like put that money in. But like I know like from other producers who wouldn't have had like that those savings, how do they actually buy the thing when you're getting the box office after the show. Yeah. You know, how do you get the thing if Culture Arm they're paying you six weeks after? Yeah. You know, and it's a very, it's something that, you know, the Arts Council know is a problem, but they don't know, they also know that they can't address it. And they're very open. Yeah. Like, they, we don't know, we know it's bad, but we can't address it, you know? Yeah. yeah. I could, because I mean, it is, is it as simple as just it's a cash flow issue a lot of the time? Yeah, and that's. Well, it's a cash flow issue, yeah. Um, which that makes it sound very <laughs> but that is, so what I produced with Dead Center, um, uh, like that is, you know, you're you, when you're not when they're not a regularly funded company, you are touring around the world, and it's essentially three lads in their boxers in kit in different kitchens, yeah, producing tours around the world with massive shows, which you, which companies of eighteen people going to Australia for three weeks and stuff like that. So when you're not regularly funded, so that no one's depositing money at the start, and all those institutions give you money after, you're kind of like, what the f- how the fuck am I gonna? <laughs> I can't rob that bank again. They yeah. know me now. They absolutely know me now. Yeah. The photo fit is up on the yeah, door exactly, as you walk in. Yeah. So yeah. So that it's a it's a thing that keeps I suppose uh, keeps rearing its head. And, and, yeah, and, yeah. Is that part of the motivation 
to diversify as much as you have that there's enough kind of distinct and disparate revenue streams coming in mm. and that you know you can not rob peter to pay paul but like yeah, that yeah. there's enough kind of to keep the whole thing in motion yeah well, i suppose we've, we've done it a little bit not because of necessarily cash flow issues with collapsing horse but with collapsing horse we for years what we were doing for years we talk about the things we want the company to become um uh, without actually really doing any of them uh, okay we were like oh so not that we were being lazy but we're like this is something we haven't done yet that's something we'd like to do so like we'd like a you know a theater strand we'd like a young audience strand we'd like a community strand and we'd like a commercial strand that we wouldn't really tell anyone but would make money to put into the other stuff um and we kind of said that phrase and then all of a sudden like maybe we did like a kind of relaunch of the company maybe in 2016 uh, and by relaunch, I mean we just got something nicely graphic designed, uh, and we said that we're doing all these things. And then after that, they started to happen. People kind of approached us, be like, "Hey, you're doing this thing," or like the Ombudsman for Children approached us, be like, "You do some community work. We do the Rights Museum and uh, National Museum," and that was something with them that was really joyous. And then, uh, and then you know, we've done some commercial work as well that we don't really push anywhere, but it you know, it's a great way to. Be, put money into our account but also pay the actors we work with that might do like workshops for cheap or like mm. really like absolutely work overtime when they're doing tech for us and stuff like that so it's nice to do that and then uh yeah and then all of a sudden we were kind of doing it uh, right. and, and but what that did was it diversified our income so if even if the arts council doesn't give us a project award for one round we're like yeah. oh well we're actually still really busy like that's devastating because theater is our main thing yeah but we have all these other things that will keep the company going keep the office that we're sitting in at the moment uh, open uh, and and pay our staff and stuff like that and um, so it take it makes it less stressful or less like i suppose like there were days in collapsing horse when you know you would just work towards a project grant application and then you wouldn't get it and you'd be like oh oh okay well i suppose we'll just wait till the next one you yeah. know and that was and that's you know that's that's what many companies uh, situation are in and that's what's i suppose the exciting thing about the the way they're kind of shaking up the arts council grants at the moment yeah um in terms of juggling all those balls and keeping it on the air is there ever scheduling difficulties for you <laughs> if you know if a new are somewhere and you know dead center somewhere else at the same time yeah and oh, you it, need to be at both yeah you see i'm the least important person uh to be in any situation and the problem is when i schedule people I love working with to be in two places at once. Yeah. Uh, so when I worked with Anu in Dead Center, that would happen frequently. And I remember there's one show opening, like there was a show opening in Germany and a show opening in Dublin at the same time. And I had double booked the production managers and the tech managers and the production and the stage managers. And like, it was kind of all sorted out in advance and it was like, oh, it'll be fine, do this, this and this. But like when it came to that weekend, I'm like, this is absolutely all my fault. <laughs> I just love these people so much. But yeah, I suppose you, because like I like I'm not messing with saying I'm the least important person that needs to be on site at you know all my if you see me at so let's say we were in collapsing horse run tour in Norway last week and I went over once again absolutely no need for me to go apart from like have a great time with the Stomptown Brass and our company who were going over and it was great we had to, an understanding would be a really good time and uh, <laughs> I like, like your style I was, you know the whole time I was there I was just working on future shows. I never actually have anything to do when I'm there, you okay. know. And then, you know, when I when somewhere something else goes on tour, I will be working on the next show. Like my least busy time for a particular show tends to be around the time the show is on. Oh yes, okay. And then in terms of you saying 
you know, being the least important person there. Is that because if you've done your job right up to that point? Oh, yeah, absolutely. The dominoes are all in place and they're going to exactly, go. Exactly, yeah. yeah. It's nice to be there and it's good. Like when Dead Center would tour a lot and we tend to tour the festivals and there'd be other festival directors at those festivals. Yeah. So it would be good to like me, Bush and Ben would divide and conquer and go and meet lots of different people and try and get the get the show program there. And that was fun, you know, and that's, you know, th- there was kind of a reason, but also that's not enough reason if it's like Australia to spend yeah. two grand getting me out there and back. Uh, uh, so, but yeah, I love it. Like there's, you know, there's a, there's a, re- like back when we were doing the Dead Center stuff, uh, Dead Center is still going. I just <laughs> don't work it anymore. Um, you know, the like everyone was kind of doing it for no money, you know, yeah. me, Bush and Ben. Uh, and so, you know, I remember at one point I wasn't going to two legs of the tour and Bush being like, why are you doing this if you're not actually going to come for the crack in Estonia? You know, yeah. like what's the, like, you were not, like no one's being paid enough. So yeah. why are you working all these hours if you're not going to come? Uh, um, but no, yeah, I suppose, yeah, you're right. If all the dominoes are in place, then I don't need to be there. What is it do you know at this stage that you enjoy most about producing? Is it conjuring the rabbit from the hat in that there was no show to begin with and through you making it happen, you've made it happen? Is it being, you know, on-site problem-solving as you go? What what do you get off on? Uh, I think it's actually the teams of people that I work with. Uh, it's a it's a cool job in that, like, even now that I'm kind of embedded with two companies, Anu and Collapsing Horse, and still work with Ross Dungan when he, uh, every so often when he writes a play. Um, like, the teams are always changing. Yeah. It's not like any other office where you're in looking at the same people every every day, you know, even in, like, big institutions that happens, you know? Like, we can, if we go to a show and we have a really good time making this show, we can just reset the deck, change everything, new cast, new designers, next one. And that's, and that's exciting and that's cool and that's fun and it's always different uh, mm. and you always feel like you can achieve new things. I think I like the... F- What's the thing I like the most about it? I... Yeah, I think I take for granted that amazing thing you said there of like, there's no idea and then there is an idea. You yeah. know, I suppose because I work with such brilliant people, it's never really in question that something excellent is going to come at the end of the process, yeah. you know, when like... Dan or Louise or Ross uh, or back in the day with Bush will have an idea you're like oh brilliant cool I can't wait to see that in a year and a half like obviously there's going to be hell <laughs> for the next 18 <laughs> months to get it there but like that's absolutely going to happen that's a good enough idea um, uh, yeah I think that's do you like to be hands on in that initial idea phase or and, and like how much input do you like to have in that kind of stuff oh yeah I think it depends so let's say with Dead Center, Bush and Ben very much would have had, you know, that was between them. They would talk all the time, every day. Uh, and with Louise, um, I'm quite collaborative at different points, I suppose. Uh, she would be very much at the initial idea generation stage. And then me, her, Lynette and Owen would talk about, I suppose, what it looks like in 3D. So who are the produce, who are the okay. co-producers, where it will go, when it will be on, why it's important, how it links to the other projects. We were going to do a show with these people at this museum in the in rural Ireland. Sorry, I just covered my mic. <laughs> I'm, you, I don't know what to do with my hands. Uh, yeah. <laughs> um, uh, and, that, and that's the stage that I really enjoy with them. So when we were doing the Arts Grant back in February, uh, you know, we were 
hoping to put in six or seven projects we have maybe 12 ideas so that's the point okay. that i would work with them on that and see what's good what's right for now and right is that, is that partly in. about curating a strand of yeah, ideas we, going we, how do these speak to each yeah, other and stuff we, yeah exactly we, we we look at what we do as program with anu as programmatically um so we're currently planning uh, like a program for the next five years uh, uh that will start kind of tentatively developing next year um in 2016 obviously we had a program of three shows um uh, they did the Monto cycle before this show, The Lost O'Casey, in itself is a program of work mm-hmm. with uh, the show that happened in the Peacock, the work we've done with community groups like Sertia and uh, Solsha. I do that every time. I'm going to actually get the head baiting off me if I do it again. <laughs> uh, sale uh, during the summer and then the show that will be on in DTF along with the fact that we're creating a podcast as a companion piece to it. We just shot um, a movie called Hawk's Nest during the rehearsal process with Paddy Jordan who did The Young Offenders. Okay. So that's going to be projected on the side of the gate. And now that I've said it on the podcast, it has to happen. Uh, and then, uh, and uh, what else is part of that kind of ever-sprawling project? Yeah, so I suppose we, we think about uh, a huge an overwieldy theme uh, that we want to approach and you know the show that you might see in DTF is only ever kind of like the tip of the iceberg it's kind of the the, the, the little uh, pinprick yeah. at the end of a massive body of research that's kind of remarkable I mean you talked a little bit earlier on about the idea of building up for say an Arts Council project application mm. and if it doesn't go your way you go oh okay well we sit back kind of essentially for six yeah, months yeah. now the difference between working on that kind of six month timeline of let's hope for this oh okay back to the drawing board yeah. through to now talking about medium term planning over five years and big strands yeah. and international collaborations we don't know ourselves like it's mad how do you can you put your finger on how you get from one to the other because I think there'll be people out there listening yeah. to this making their own work who maybe are doing stuff that seen and heard or have something in the yeah, fringe at the yeah, moment yeah. or whatever else going well that's where we'd like to be in five yeah. years but what do you know what it takes to get there well clearly you've got there so what do you think well it, it's it funny because like collapsing Wars didn't put in one last year because we were kind of like are we ready we're not really sure if we're not sure then we're probably not ready yeah um and we had like we absolutely could have pulled together like four or five projects to apply with um uh but in the end we're like no maybe it's now, now, now is not right the right time um uh so in terms of traveling from that i suppose it's it seems not really designed uh, from what I've heard from independent artists necessarily for them, which is why there was justified uproar that the Arts Council cut out a strand. So there's only, you know, one project now and yeah. then an arts grant. So people who are like amazing individual artists can now only have one shot of it per year, uh, which is nonsense, you know. And I kind of I always felt that with the arts grant funding, brilliant idea, but do it when you can afford it. Don't yeah. replace loads of things that already work. Yeah. Um, so... I think so in terms of as a, as a company building towards it you just kind of know the right time when you have like enough ideas to have been like okay we're not going to do that one and then all of a sudden you're like oh I'm ge- we're generating like four or five ideas uh, let's develop this one now I've talked to the theatre they're interested in doing this one so let's put this in as a full production uh, and the cool thing about the arts grant is that it is multi-arts so with Anu we have two visual arts projects that are going right. to the arts grants uh, next year and three theater i want to say three theater um uh, so there is kind of it's it's kind of encouraging people to to kind of push their form out a little bit and look for different types of collaborators do you find juggling those things i that, feel like i've given absolutely no advice to anyone there that would be worried about no, that, I, think, so I think that's okay well no, i think i think it's i mean i think it's interesting that we you know we to, to some extent we are where we are in terms of like you're saying strands mm-hmm. for individual artists 
versus proper companies yeah. and stuff that are building and making do, do, stuff. Do, do, do you know what we did actually with? I did it initially with Collapsing Horse. Me and Dan did it, uh, which led to us hiring Kate, and then I subsequently did it with Anu, with Lynette, Owen, and Louise, which was we would. Uh, Instead of thinking on a project by project basis, here's the budget, here's all we get paid, and then at the end of the year you add up kind of what you got paid in that year. Like, oh, grand, or oh, Jesus, what the hell is going to work in a shop? Um, and so we actually we made a, a year budget, and we were like, okay, well, let's imagine that we were real people working in real jobs, and what would we like to get paid at the end of the year? Yeah. So we put those amounts in, and then we kind of were like, cool, okay, so what would the shows cost? and where can we get the money so we kind of started working off uh, an annual budget okay. and what it means is that obviously there's a deficit when you make it in January there's like a 30 grand 40 grand 50 grand 5 grand deficit and you're like okay yeah. so it's now my job as a producer to figure out across 12 months how I feel that Okay. Which is where we came up with Collapsing Horse and Membership. So we have this membership scheme makes it sound so evil. That's what that's the word for it. Yeah, it's a membership, suppose, membership yeah, scheme. Scheming is a, the verb kind of has negative connotations. But it's it's a, yeah, whatever. Uh, and, uh, sign up at www.collapsinghorse.com forward slash membership. Um, that's actually not the address. Please don't do that. You can find it on Google. Um, You're an amazing producer, Matt. Yeah, oh, yeah, I'm really good. Um, oh, I've made several mistakes like this today already in different contexts. Um, uh, so, so yes, yeah, so we have to fill that deficit, and that's my game. That's okay. what, that's my job. It kind of, and what it did is it led to all the people that we work with. It led to us hiring Kate with Collapsing Horse, which is amazing. Like, cool, we have space to do this. Uh, it led to, with Anu, the, some of the members of the company who worked in other part-time jobs were like, cool. Well, I'll step away from the part-time job and work more for Anu. And then what that leads to is more opportunities for the company. People are kind of more focused. People are splitting their time less over different projects and yeah. stuff like that. So that was, I suppose, how we got from going project to project to that being like, well, I'm committed to these group of people. Uh, so I am going to look at what a year and three years and five years would look like them. Yeah. Uh, and that's kind of how we got there. That's a better answer. Yes, yes. Yes, I knew you'd get there. Um, that's kind of fascinating. At, at the risk of getting a little hippie-ish on us, cool. how... Is there then some kind of truth to the idea of we don't know how we're going to make this happen. We just kind of say we're going to make it happen and it falls into place. Yeah, and that yeah. kind of, you know, take back in yourself sometimes, just taking a punt on yourself and going, look, we can do this. Then you put it out into the world like, okay, we're now going to have, as you said, you know, collapse of course, we're going to have these different strands. Yeah. And then people start to approach you and go, oh, I hear you're having those strands. Now you're like, yes, we are. Yeah. I, and does it become a self-fulfilling prophecy? Well, I suppose I'm the. I see. I'm only speaking from my own experience. Like I've lots of people I work with, and people who are friends of mine that I don't work with, who are very much the. I'm not telling anyone what I'm doing until it's ready and it's done. And sure. I tell people. Whereas I'm very much just because of my personality will be like I'm going to tell people what I plan to do, mm. and then some of that will happen, and I won't be embarrassed if the other bit doesn't. Yeah, of course. I'd be a little bit embarrassed, but um, uh, and. I suppose that's just how I'm built as opposed to necessarily what's the right way or the wrong way, you know? Yeah. Uh, like, you know, I'll be like, here's the thing that I'm working on. And people are like, that's full of typos. Whereas someone will actually finish their thing and there won't be typos. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um, we've talked a good bit about money. Do you, I mean, in terms of the role of producer, it kind of in a cynical way, some people think, oh, well, the producer's the money man. Do you... I see all the actors as walking dollars. <laughs> Warm props to yeah, put on your stage. Props, yeah. um, how, I mean, I guess, you know, everything needs to be paid for in the end. How crucial is it and is it getting any easier in Ireland at the moment to source money? Um, I don't think it's gotten easier. 
No, I think what would have actually made it easier if is if there was because the arts council aren't getting more money. They are a little bit, and yeah. uh, it's nice to see some kind of middle range companies break through to getting kind of more regular funding and yeah. stuff like that, and who includes um, which really uh, needed to happen. It's pretty, it's great, it's so exciting. Obviously, I benefit, but like seeing people like Pop Baby and Broken Talkers and Theatre Club is brilliant. And yeah, it gives it's, people um, a bit of breathing. And space. it's felt to me that for a long time that particular cohort. Yeah were ready for that for yeah, the last two yeah, or three yeah. years and not having it was kind of holding them back and then now that they have it you go okay excellent this is the this is the supercharged booster that's going to kick them on to the yeah. next level which is really exciting but i don't think i don't know if it's changed for really anyone else because what you know look at what else income what other income streams are have audience numbers gone up over the last however many years have is the is the corporate sector giving more through corporate social responsibility probably bits here and there yeah. but not there's no kind of drastic scene change. Like if we were in America, you know, philanthropy is huge and like there's lots of individual donors. That's not really a thing here. We're, yeah. we're lucky with collapsing horse, but like, you know, that goes down, that goes up. It's kind of mostly going down. We'll try and pick it back up again this yeah. year. Um, and then, uh, yeah, so it's, it's, it's an interesting one. I think the great thing that happened around the crash for loads of young companies was that people just presumed that there wouldn't be money yeah. and people just made stuff like it didn't yeah. matter people weren't looking at budgets they were just making things and that's when we all started yeah. when no one had any money everyone was working for free there was kind of a presumption that you weren't going to get paid anyway and that allowed a whole new younger generation of people to come in um, uh, but it's strange now because we're now we're in Ireland where there is kind of more money the boom is kind of back which is a phrase I absolutely love using uh, I'm so <laughs> glad I got it in here boom is back not boom is kind of back um, uh, but there doesn't seem to be any more money in the arts so it means yeah. things are more expensive like either food to eat or wood to buy for your set yeah. but there's less money to put in so you're kind of a little bit less Maybe you're worse off than ever to be super cynical. <laughs> Amazing. Um, How do you feel? Do you feel that like that? Um, I don't. I've, well, look, I'm just getting more experienced at doing it. Yeah. Uh, so I've found, you know, through trial and error, I've found methods to make it happen. Yeah. Um, and for the most part, that's just meant working eight jobs myself mm. uh, to make sure things stay commercially viable. Um, but I, I think, I think if people want it bad enough, you find a way to make it work. Yeah. It's interesting because we, you know, we've got to the point where. You know, like back when Collapsing Horse was starting, everyone was on profit share. Then there was like one year where like we can actually guarantee people like two hundred and fifty a week, and then profit share on top of that. We're like, this is madness. Yeah. We're gonna live like kings. This is incredible. People will love us. <laughs> the children of their village will sing songs about us. Uh, and then, uh, and then it grew and grew to a point where we just started paying people properly. And now it means that like that's as it should be the base level you know yeah. we're an old enough company now that like you can't do a project unless you can pay everyone yeah uh where and that's i suppose the 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 best thing about becoming an older company and also the but it also means you can make less work but yeah fair yeah no i think so as you look back are there shows that stand out for you that you're particularly proud of that either you pulled out pulled it off against the odds mm. or just that it was even better artistically than you thought ho thought or hoped it might be or are there are there ones that particularly stand out to you oh yeah um there'd be a few uh i think the so with collapsing horse and anu with collapsing horse it would probably be just incredibly proud of um the innate uh i absolutely it was kind of around that time that we were reinventing ourselves a little bit we were kind of rolling into another show we were doing Bears in Space in New York at the same time so everyone like you know 
Kate had just come on board that summer and was absolutely nailing it and showing, unfortunately, Dan what a real producer does. And I'm like, shit, my cover is fucking blown. Uh, don't, she's just, it's a thing they do in Australia where they're organised. Um, uh, don't, don't listen to her. Um, uh, and I remember coming home from New York uh, after Bears in Space to see the Aid and just being blown away by like the work Dan had done and you know not you know it's not necessarily the show of ours that's toured the most or got the best reviews but there was just a very proud thing to kind of come into like because it's sold out it got like 98% sales Jesus. in the fringe in Smock Alley for two weeks which was like stupid like absolutely nuts like, like it caught um, it kind of caught a vibe yeah. and it was full of young people and it was great and that, so I like I look back on that period as like I suppose it's that whole period of we were doing a kid show Connor immediately after we had the show in New York that was doing really well and there was that and we were kind of starting the program cat laughs at that point so I was like oh that's a that's a real proud moment then with um with Anu it's just all a bloody violent blur across, <laughs> across six years I think um Sunder, uh, which was the show in 2016, which was the start of our triptych of work looking at the 1916 uh, Rising, was, I was incredibly proud, I, just more like, not necessarily, once again, this is all from a very personal point of view, yeah. just because uh, the show was initially supposed to be on the site in Moore Street, and we were working closely with Gronje Shaffrey, the architect, on that, but there was all the problem with the people protesting, of course. and yeah, the problem, uh, and hilariously, even though the museum were our co-producers, they were the ones giving evidence as their position is in society against the show being in it, uh, being in the site, because the whole uh, play battleground should actually be a heritage site yeah. instead of just a building. So they were like, we're really sorry, we have to do this, but good luck. Um, so and I remember we were taking the photos for the promo outside the space today that the that the injunction was upheld and all the protesters going mad. I was like, look, we've paid for the photographer, just keep taking the fucking photos. We'll use something from this. Um, but then, so we had to change all the sites and we had to, I had to go around um, uh, do people from the like revenue listen to this? Uh, I don't bribing, think so. uh, bribing the people on the streets to like give us spaces to use for the show, or I suppose paying rent in a way. But yeah, yeah but yeah, yeah not that, that. Yeah, paying rent. Um, however, which way? And I could have just not said that and got, got away with it. But um, we've um, had stories about Iraqi gold heists. We've had stories about stripping copper pipes out of convents to pay oh, for shows. I feel really don't, you know you're you're, you're you're okay. Um, uh, so that that show was, and then just that actually happening was mm. was great, uh, and that that was exciting. And having spent loads of time on Moore Street, being like, this is an amazing place. This is nuts, uh, and seeing people's reactions. And then another, I suppose, Chekhov's first play. Because um, do you see Chekhov's first play? The Dead no, Central? I still haven't seen it. It's on in London in October. I'm going to fly over and see it because uh, I'm not persona non grata uh, as much as I might have appeared on the internet. But um, uh, just because there was like loads of, ma- I suppose because when we were producing it, we were gathering co-producers, and it was the first time I gathered co-producers, which was me, Bush, and Ben going to Kunsten Festival. And it's kind of like Monte Carlo Grand Prix, where no one's actually there to see the cars. They're just there to, like, have business deals. So we spent our time going around meeting, like, oh, Preet from Estonia's in that bar, or uh, Ariane from Bordeaux's and that. We'd go and we'd pitch the idea, and they'd say, yeah, we're going to come in as co-producers. And then we'd, like, come away from the festival. We're like, cool, okay, then we have to do the show. And, like, the stuff in the show that's mad, like, you know, we have to destroy the set with a wrecking ball, yes. set the wrecking ball on fire. There's headphones. Like, I still have in my family home... 400 pairs of silent disco headphones that are not used in that show because we bought other ones after we bought those and i still bush if you're listening to this and i know you aren't i still have them and you're never getting them back 
I'm taking that as my pension. <laughs> Those solid discount headphones, which which I've tried to sell and no one wants them. So maybe some point you can have them back. <laughs> I love it. You've mentioned cat laughs, so we can't finish up without talking about oh, it. Oh yeah. Um, it's first like it, at first glance you go, well, this is a strange move as well, hmm. but in fact it makes perfect sense. Yeah. It. It. it, it yeah, it's it's worked like for like we haven't made a total balls of it, which is great. So explain officially what your official official role so is. So we are so collapsing horse. Me and Dan, which is me and Dan, for the purpose of this, we're collapsing horse. Obviously, a much bigger thing with Kate yeah. and Jack and Owen and Aaron. Um, we program cat laughs. So uh, one of our board members is Richard Cook, who owns cat laughs, um, uh, among many other things. And uh, at one point, he was kind of on a fundraising subcommittee of the board. Uh, it was very dormant fundraising subcommittee. I think it's just him. And he was like, this kind of solved this problem of not having to fundraise if he just gave us a job. Um, uh, and he's been incredibly supportive. He's a really wonderful guy. Uh, like, obviously, total pain in the ass. But, like, I love him. I love him like I, I would a father. Um, uh, which I'm sure my dad would hate to hear. Um, but... Uh, so he asked us to program the festival. He knew our background in comedy. Like whenever we'd go to meet him about theatre stuff, we'd spend the first half hour talking about comedians we'd seen, things yeah. we liked, and stuff like that. So he asked us to program it, and uh, which is terrifying because we'd never programmed the festival before. We kind of we brought over the pajama men yeah. as collapsing horse uh, one year, which was great fun, and did that in a double bill with. Uh, so we kind of had marketed comedy a little bit before. We had what we thought a very specific taste, but it's a really exciting opportunity for us to take a household name, the Cat Laughs, yeah. and try and breed like what the guys had done before. Were absolutely brilliant, but I suppose to put our own stamp on it, not breed new life into it. They're still very, yeah. very, very popular, uh, but put our own stamp on it. And we we have, you know, I think we with a really good first year. And then second year, I think like the Saturday of the second year was kind of everything we could have wanted it to be Brilliant. in terms of how it all went down. Uh, and next year's the 25th anniversary of the festival. So we are going to fuck that up so bad. <laughs> like I'm literally looking through programs of all things being like, all these famous people, like you should see the famous people that used to come to the yeah, festival. The, like it's a ridiculous it's list. It's ridiculous. I, what, like one year, I was it 20, 20, 2004 maybe I opened the thing and it was Maria Bamford, Daniel Kitson, Louis C.K., Emo Phillips, um, sorry, Emo <laughs> Phillips, Bill Murray. Like, the list was absolutely nuts. I'm like, oh, I wonder will they all come back for not a fucking chance for it. But, uh, but it's, it's cool. It's, it's a whole new thing. It's really exciting. It's like submerging ourselves in a new industry um, or resubmerging ourselves in a new industry. And we're really enjoying it. Yeah. People are really sound us, which is, which, uh, no, I said that as if I'm implying that people aren't sound in theatre. <laughs> But um, uh, but people are are also really sound in the comedy world. Finally, then, uh, ambitions or Mm. hopes and dreams or how will you know if you're still a success as you go on? What's what's it about for you? Um, I think I will keep doing it if I love it. Yeah. Um, I've taken random jobs that haven't been in theatre over the years. Like I worked on a like an academic event for a couple of years. Just because I loved it, I love the people involved. I love the event, uh, and you know, like I wouldn't be totally surprised if I wasn't working in theatre or comedy in years to come. You okay, know? like things change so fast. You know, one year I wasn't a comedy festival producer like two and a half years ago, and yeah. now I am. You know, so like who knows what's going to come up after that? I think as long as I'm enjoying myself and people, and you know, helping people achieve the thing they want to achieve, uh, whether that's theatre or comedy or music, uh, then then I'll be pretty happy with that. I love it. Matt Smith, you're a superstar. Thank you so much for coming on. Thanks so much, Ango.
So there you have it, the great Matt Smith, a guy who I have a huge amount of time for, a huge amount of admiration for. Um, I'll never forget in the early days of Rise saying, you know, I really need an independent producer to come in here and, and help me out. And more than one person saying, you need Matt Smith, but you need to snap him up now because he will be gone. And I think before we could even finish the conversation, he was already tied up with a million different companies doing a million different things. He's exceptionally good at what he does. He's a great guy. I am delighted to have had him on. So look, that brings us to our usual weekly roundup of what is going on around the country in the world of theatre. At the Abbey, they have Jimmy's Hall and Two Pints out on the road. They've also got a whole heap of fringe stuff there. Go and check that out. Up the road at the gate, it's the last few uh, performances of The Snapper which is of course completely sold out and that'll be followed by our Ruthie in Hamlet at the Gaiety it's Girls and Dolls the debut play from Lisa McGee the writer of Derry Girls and at the O'Reilly Theatre it's Tales of Hoffman from Irish National Opera that'll be followed by Foil Arms and Hog fresh off the back of great success over in Edinburgh and also Theatre Club are going there with Heroin coming in there soon um, at the Lear Academy there's a whole heap of fringe stuff going on there as well that's worth checking out the fringe website for and then uh, we have the new theatre also has a load of fringe stuff going on as does Smock Alley essentially just go and hit the fringe website guys it'll tell you everything you need to know at the pavilion they also have that production of Tales of Hoffman and that'll be followed by Portrait of the Artist uh, at Dreyacht in Blanche they have My Left Nut again coming back after the success uh, over in Edinburgh at the Viking Theatre they have Owen O'Neill for a few performances and that'll be followed by the returning production of The Boys at the Dolman it's Phelan Drew in Joxer Daily Esquire that's followed by Dirtbird's self-help tour which sold out at the Viking ridiculously sold out at the Viking it has to be said at Beauty's Cafe Theatre they have all the show in a bag shows and don't forget that means they're operating in lunchtime slots 6pm slots and 8pm slots so even if Beauty's isn't normally on your radar this time around for Fringe it can be go and check out the show in a bags they're always worth a roll of the dice um, the Project Art Centre as ever is Fringe Central a whole heap of stuff going on check out the website there heading south to the Everyman in Cork they have the May coming up which I can't wait to see they also have Assisted Solo which has been a project for Fringe which I uh, which I managed to catch as part of my judging duties uh, and also they have that production of Tales of Hoffman coming down to Cork too. At the Town Hall in Galway it's that touring production of Jimmy's Hall from the Abbey and that'll be followed by Aaron Monaghan starring in Druid's production of Richard III which I'm so wound up about I can't wait to go and see it. At the Lime Tree Theatre they have Bottoms Up and then they also have User Not Found and at the Hawkswell in Sligo, it's Three Hail Marys, which I believe is sold out, and that'll be followed by No Smoke Without Fire from the brilliant Mary Murray. And up north at the Lyric in Belfast, it is Good Vibrations. So look, that is us. That is episode 45 in the books. We're getting close, guys. Number 52 is closing in on us. This will all be wrapped up again soon, and I will have a life again, which is going to be nice. I don't miss talking to you guys. That's, yeah, that's episode 45 in the books. We will, of course, be back next week for another chat with one of Ireland's leading theatre makers. But in the meantime... This has been the Rise Productions Irish Theatre Podcast. For Angus Og McAnally, I'm Angus Og McAnally. We'll see you next week.